from the Burt Park, USA. I'm Tavis Smiley. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. So glad to see you and me back in stride again. Our phone number, 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. All of our socials can be found at KBLA 1580. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Everything at KBLA 1580. Let me also invite you right now to download our app at KBLA 1580. Download the app and listen to us live anywhere in the world only by downloading our app right now at KBLA 1580. I was out on travel last week, went to a few places, and everywhere I went across the country, people were listening to KBLA Talk 1580 on the app. So if you haven't downloaded it, uh, check us out, download it today, and listen to us live in real time anywhere in the world, KBLA 1580. Should you miss us any day in real time, check out the podcast of our program by going to the app, the website, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, so many places to get the podcast and listen at your leisure should you miss us any day in real time. But uh, check out the podcast at your leisure uh, any time you want. You can also watch the live stream of this program by tapping on the KBLA TV icon on our app or by going to our YouTube channel. Let me also invite you to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. Another great show on tap for you today in our second hour. What has violence ever accomplished? What has it ever created? No martyr's cause has ever been stilled by an assassin's bullet. No wrongs have ever been righted by riots and civil disorders. A sniper is only a coward, not a hero. And an uncontrolled or uncontrollable mob is only the voice of madness not the voice of the people. Among free men, said Abraham Lincoln, there can be no successful appeal from the ballot to the bullet. And those who take such appeal are sure to lose their case and pay the cost. Violence breeds violence. Repression breeds retaliation. And only a cleansing of our whole society can remove this sickness from our souls. Those are the words of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. the day after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And then, 55 years ago today, June 5th, 1968, just two months after the assassination of Dr. King in Memphis at the Lorraine Motel, Robert F. Kennedy was shot shortly after midnight at the Ambassador Hotel here in Los Angeles after winning the California presidential primary. He was pronounced dead one day later on June 6, 1968. Today we look back on that critical moment 55 years ago today in American history and wonder what might have been had we not lost one of the most influential figures in American political history. Thurston Clark has written award-winning work about RFK, and he joins us today in Hour 2. Look forward to that conversation. In our third hour, a conversation with Dr. Gerardine Jean-Louis about the health consequences that arise from a lack of sleep, including new research <clears throat> about the link between insufficient sleep and Alzheimer's. I need that conversation. I look forward to today in Hour 3. In this first hour, though, two conversations on the B side of this hour. We'll be joined by the CEO of Lindustry, Everett K. Sands, to talk about the true meaning of the debt ceiling legislation signed by President Biden over the weekend after weeks of anxious negotiations about a potentially catastrophic default 
of our government. But we begin today's program talking politics with Democratic strategist Basil uh, Smichael. Basil, good to have you back on, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I know I need to stay around for that conversation about not getting enough sleep. Uh, <laughs> I think I need that too. Yeah, if you if you can stay awake to hour three, Basil. <laughs> yeah, if you can stay awake to hour three, uh, you, you'll be empowered by it. I'm certain. I was laughing about it, but it's really no jo- it's really no joking matter. There is a link. Uh, we now know uh, a greater and deeper link between insufficient sleep and Alzheimer's, and we all want to stave that off to the extent that we can. So I look forward to being downloaded in hour three about uh, about the new. Day data uh, regarding Alzheimer's and insufficient sleep. That said, though, glad you're awake, glad I'm awake, at least for this first hour, um, to talk about some politics. And there was a lot of it over the weekend, as there always seems to be when I come in here Monday mornings. Uh, let me start with this. We'll talk about it more expressly with Everett Sands, again, the CEO of Lindustry on the backside of this hour. But your thoughts on the, on the politics. Uh, Everett will talk about the money piece of this, the politics, as you see it, of the president getting this across the finish line, Basil. Yeah, so what I what I generally feel is that both sides, uh, the, the base supporters of both Democrats and Republicans here are going to be upset. Biden's, you know, ba- you know progressive base is going to be upset. The more conservative uh, right-wing Republican base is going to be upset. My question has always been whose side is going to punish their leaders more? Mm. Um, and, I, and, I, and I generally feel that Despite the concerns that a lot of progressives have over some of the work requirements, for example, um, I do believe that what voters see is a Democratic Party that is largely united and uh, a a, a president who has said that he would deliver on getting this done. Uh, on On the other side, I you know McCarthy's leadership is so precarious. Uh, because he can so easily be pushed aside mm-hmm. that one wonders whether he was the right person or was, was going to be a good negotiator in this process. Would it be necessarily Mitch McConnell? Because he seems to be the more stable leader and the more stable presence. But it seems that there are some Republicans that are even saying that McCarthy got a lot that they didn't expect him to get. So I do feel that while there may be some short-term uh, a, a praise from his own party. I do think, in the long term, uh, the Republicans are going to look at look at McCarthy as still being a very weak leader. But I do think Democrats will look at the Biden administration and say, yet again, the, the grown-ups in the room has had to save the day. Yep, uh, I hear your point about long-term and short-term. Let me come to that right quick. Um, it seems to me, as I've read everything about what's in this bill, and there's a lot in it, um, but it seems yeah. to me that Democrats, to your point, while they may not go after Biden the way Republicans will go after McCarthy, um, it appears to me that there's little to expect in terms of feeling the impact of this in the near term. It's one of those things that I think will be felt more uh, more deeply, more significantly, uh, more acutely, if you will, in the long term. Uh, but the short-term impact of this is going to be minimal in terms of, you know, that, that age-old question, are you better off today than you were yesterday? Um, That's right. Yes, yeah, so I, I think the long-term is what it is, but the short-term, the impact isn't going to be felt, you know, uh, by everyday people. I'm not sure that bodes well for Joe Biden uh, when it comes to re-election time if people don't feel the the, the 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 goodness that is in this bill uh, before uh, the election of 2024. Your thoughts on that, well, right quick? And I, no, I actually I I would agree because I actually don't think there's necessarily goodness in the bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it really is just this measure to get us over a hump. By the way, this hump is somewhat 
manufactured, right? The mm-hmm. drama around this is manufactured because most uh, countries similar to the United States don't have this issue. Exactly. And so we manufacture this drama, and, you know, it requires, if you think about it, it requires both parties to come to the table, and they're not they're not adding, they're cutting every time this happens, right? And so there really is no long-term benefit to, to, to keep going through this drama. From the from the administration's administration's point of view, and from let's say the point of view of, of Democratic leader Hakeem Jeffries, um, what they're looking at is we we can't have the country, we can't have small business owners, we can't have voters missing checks. Um, that is that is that does not bode very well for the party in charge going into this election season. So let's get over this hump. Yeah. Let's solve this problem now. And we'll we'll essentially kick the ball, kick the can down the road later on. So we're going to go through this again. Sadly, 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 yeah. Uh, Just getting started in our conversation uh, with Democratic strategist and former executive executive director, that is, of the New York State Democratic Party. A lot want to talk about. There are three, not not one, count them, one, two, three more Republicans getting in the race this week um, for their nomination. That field is getting really crowded, which suggests to me they ain't scared of Donald Trump. He's still leading in every poll survey and study, but they ain't scared. Three more jumping in this week. We'll talk about that when we come forward and a great deal more. But June is Black Music Month. And uh, every day this month, in the month of June, we'll be featuring a an artist uh, all three hours of our program. Today, that artist is Sly and the Family Stone. All three hours of today's program. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Basil Smichael, a Democratic strategist, former executive director of the New York State Democratic Party, talking in this first half hour about politics after news, traffic, and sports. We'll talk more expressly about this debt uh, deal uh, that was struck between the president and the speaker uh, and what it really means. We'll get into the the details about the money, but we were talking moments ago about the politics of this. Uh, And um, uh, I said uh, before the break that there is a lot of other news I wanted to get to, and some of it is breaking even as we speak. New York Times reporting just now, like literally five minutes ago during that break, that Mike Pence has formally entered the 2024 race challenging his former boss, Donald Trump. Uh, he filed paperwork just a moment ago. Uh, once, of course, a stalwart supporter of uh, and defender, for that matter, of Donald Trump. Uh, he split with his boss after the January 6th attack on the Capitol. He is now running against uh, his former boss for the nomination of the uh, GOP. Uh, he's been polling uh, pretty low in um, in the numbers Nonetheless, uh, he is in, and it should make for an interesting race uh, between Donald Trump and his former lieutenant. Uh, I can't uh, wait to see. You know, Trump is famous, of course, for going off on everybody. He always gives people nicknames. And my favorite so far this cycle is Ron DeSantimonious. But uh, it's going to be interesting to watch Trump and Pence go at it, having once worked together. Um, depending on how one finds work together in the White House. And he's just one of three people we expect to get in this week, uh, Basil, as you know. Um, Chris Christie, the former governor of New Jersey, we expect to get in tomorrow. And uh, Doug Burgum, governor of North Dakota, we expect to get in on Wednesday. So literally the next 48 hours, next 72 hours, uh, there will be three more persons running for the nomination. There's a lot to unpack here. Let me start with this. What do you make of the fact, as I said moments ago, that the the increasing number of folk running for the nomination means, at the very least, they ain't scared of Donald Trump. Um, He's leading in every poll. Uh, Nobody's even close to him right now. But uh, they ain't scared, Basil. They're not. If we talk just strictly politics, you know, the sort of electoral politics part of it, the more candidates that 
cut the anti-Trump vote, the likely, the more likely it is that he wins. Mm-hmm. So the, the concern, so, so if you're an anti-Trumper in the Republican Party looking for an alternative to Donald Trump, um, the question is, is there a clear alternative to him? The problem with so many of the candidates, like even a Mike Pence and a Chris Christie, is that at one point they were against him, then they were for him, now they're against him. Mm-hmm. And if you try to be Trump light, the voter is going to look at that and say, why don't I just vote for the real thing as opposed to the imitation? So what I look at is whether or not any of these candidates can raise the money and can can get a, enough support from the anti-Trumpers within that party um, and present themselves as a clear alternative. I don't know that Mike Pence can do that, mm-hmm. um, especially since you have so much of Trump's base energized against him. And we saw that play out violently on January 6th. Yeah. Uh, but but the clear there is clear uh, acrimony toward him in the Republican Party because that many view him as a traitor to Donald Trump, not to the country, mind you, to yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah. And so and so I, I don't know how the base is going to respond to him. But I think generally about these candidates, none of them to me or very few of them to me present a clear alternative to Trump at this point. Yep. I'm wondering whether or not, whether or not uh, though, Basil, you think that. Um, the increasing number of persons uh, running for the nomination of the GOP. Uh, let me back up. I take your earlier point that the more people who run, it might make it easier for Donald Trump to slide through because they're going to be dividing the anti-Trump vote inside the Republican Party. I get that. The question I'm getting to now is whether or not you think all these folk running against him uh, and piling on him and beating him up in these debates and in the media and elsewhere uh, will take a toll on Donald Trump if, in fact, he is the nominee by the time he gets to the general election. I'm thinking now, uh, and you recall this well, of uh, Ted Kennedy running against Jimmy Carter. Uh, when Carter ran for election, he primaried uh, his own Democratic president. And Jimmy Carter was so bloodied, he was so beaten after that race. And by the way, in case you've just tuned in, we're talking in hour two about the 55th anniversary today of the assassination of uh, Robert F. Kennedy. He was shot actually on the 5th of June, uh, announced, uh, pronounced dead the following day on the 6th. But that bullet hit him today, 55 years ago here in L.A. at the Ambassador Hotel. We'll talk about that anniversary and what it means 55 years later. But his brother, Ted Kennedy, uh, primary Jimmy Carter, uh, and um, by the time, again, Carter got to the to the general election, he was so beat up, uh, Ronald Reagan just ate his lunch. Uh, I'm wondering whether you see any of that happening to Trump, if that makes sense. I, I, yeah, it absolutely does, and I can see that happening. I, I look at, I look at con- potential contenders like Chris Christie, for example, who to me has a similar sort of presence and is of the sort of the candidates is probably the matches him in terms of personality to be able to punch back and has done so on on several occasions the one thing that that all that they can't do or or should not happen is if we have a repeat of 2016 if you remember the republican part primary then you had a several candidates, probably as many as you do now. And if you remember during the the debates, we had the prime time and then the happy hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's sort of not made for prime time debate with the lesser candidate, so to speak. Yeah. And what that did is kind of diminish uh, like half of the half of the stage uh, in the minds of the voters. So that's the one thing that would be a challenge this time is finding opportunities for those candidates to really get in those hits and those punches and keep Donald Trump from over speaking them, which he is prone to do and 
few uh, moderators have been able to stop that. Mm-hmm. So there are some technical pieces that I think make it um, possible for Donald Trump to overcome that. But yes, the more candidates that are willing to step up and 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 hit, and particularly with all this legal stuff swirl, still swirling, um, you know, the, the the more bloody he can be for a potential run against uh, Biden in the general. Yeah, I, I, I take your point. Uh, if more get in, and we were told there's still more lining up to get in uh, beyond these three this week, uh, Christie, Pence, and Bergman, um, Basil's right. You may see these debates where we saw uh, last time around where there are two stages. I mean, there are two different nights, two different debates, and the lesser-run uh, candidates, the ones who are polling um, uh, lowest, are on one stage, and the others who are polling uh, better are on a different stage. And to Basil's point, that's going to wipe out half of them automatically uh, because they're going to be uh, just uh, delegated to uh, the lesser night, the lesser stage, as it were. So we'll see how many more get in uh, to challenge Donald Trump, but three more uh, getting in this week, including Mike Pence, who just jumped in officially today, moments ago. Speaking of uh, Trump and his legal stuff, we've all we've, we've been reading uh, for days now about this uh, tape on which Trump was heard discussing sensitive documents that he had kept after leaving office. Um, it just keeps it just keeps happening, Basil. Uh, you're in New York, of course, uh, and every day there's another story about Donald Trump, and it, at the moment, at least, it seems not to be slowing him down. But if, in fact, there is this tape, and if, in fact, he's on it discussing this legal document that he kept after leaving the White House, uh, his attorneys have spoken and said they can find no such document. But what do you make of the story? Well, the story just adds to other stories that we've heard that seem to be as good of a smoking gun as you can get in this case. Um, And, you know, as we think about some of the, the related stories about uh, the dress rehearsal of the moving of the boxes before the federal agents came, the, the, the intentionality around moving the documents themselves and telling his lawyer not to go in one room when he, it was okay to go in another room because they didn't want him finding those documents. That level of intentionality, um, I do think, has to sway the Justice Department to say that this, 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 there's something criminal here. The the challenge for, I think, uh, this administration and the Department of Justice is making sure that that any kind of conviction or, I'm sorry, indictment can actually get to a conviction. That's the the hard part, because, you you know, they've been paneled the grand jury. There seems to be a slowdown of grand jury activity recently. And the concern is whether or not um, they'll be able to actually bring an indictment and what is the severity of the charges likely to be. Um, again, this all comes back to accountability. Can, the, can Donald Trump be held accountable for what appears to so many to be an intentional uh, obstruction of justice and, and misleading uh, a government officials in the handling of these documents. Yep. Do you see anything? I got a minute and a half here left. Do you see anything happening yeah. with all these potential indictments? The one with Alvin Bragg, of course, already on uh, 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 underway that case. But with all these other potential indictments, do you see anything that slows Donald Trump down or stops him from uh, from potentially being? the presumptive uh, uh, Republican nominee. And I ask that because it seems to me that none of these cases are going to necessarily make their way into a courtroom prior to the election. The process just moves that slow. There are delays, as you know, all the time in these cases. Um, So I can't see anything getting to court necessarily before uh, the election. And if that's the case, then it's kind of hard to see somebody prosecuting a sitting president. So do you see anything that happens that would stop him, not just slowing, but stopping between now uh, and the election? 
Nothing that would stop him. Nothing that has the effect that the Comey letter had on the Hillary campaign in 2016. Right. If you if you remember that. Sure. I don't think, not just because of the severity of the issue, but because Donald Trump is a different candidate whose supporters are loyal to him no matter what. I still have a tear-stained jacket from the 2016 uh, election night <laughs> from the Javits Center. I remember that very clearly. Uh, and I remember the Comey letter very clearly. Yeah. I don't know that anything meets that threshold for Donald Trump. No, you ain't the only one. I, I remember like it was yesterday, uh, white people were so, white folk, the good white folk were so devastated uh, after Hillary's loss um, that uh, they, they they couldn't go to work the next day, man. I, and I remember I, I remember saying, now you know what it feels like to be black every day in America. Some days you just can't, exactly right. you can't get out of bed to go to work. You're so depressed and so despondent, and yet black folk do it every day. Now you know how we feel. I digress on that point. Dr. Basil Smichael Jr., distinguished lecturer and director of the public policy program at the Roosevelt House Policy Public Policy Institute. That's a mouthful. The Roosevelt House Public Policy Institute at Hunter College uh, and also teaches at Columbia University as well. Basil, good to have you back on. We'll do it again soon, my friend. You got it. Thank you, sir. More of Tavis Smiley at the News Traffic and Sports on KBLA Talk 1580.